this week I was particularly touched by uh, two different people within the congregation. Supernatural acts of faith which bring glory to God. The Bible calls us to engage in acts of faith, labour of love and steadfastness of hope. And I was much encouraged. I was so moved that I felt it would be appropriate or it was appropriate to um, interrupt the series that I am going through the book of Genesis and talk about this very subject of giving. And so I pray that God may uh, speak to us all and that we may also partner in the gospel of our Saviour. One person told me this week that she finally managed to save up for some items that she was so eager to buy. She had been waiting for months and she finally was able to save up items to decorate her home. And you see, items for decoration don't come cheap. And so they, they were uh, quite uh, pricey and he was so looking forward to that moment. And finally it was there. She placed the order online. She sent the payment and then she emailed the company saying, can I cancel the order, please? With a bit of a hiccup, they said, OK, and they cancelled the order. It happened that she had come across a post on Facebook by Pastor Ray, uh, Ryan King from uh, Wood Green, Grace Baptist Church in Wood Green. And she, had, uh, she felt really that she had to do something about it. A missionary couple serving in Europe have just moved to the missionary home somewhere in Europe a few days ago. They arrived to the place and they haven't got a cooker. They haven't got a washing machine. They haven't got beds even, except for an air-blown mattress. She was moved by Christian compassion. So much so that she felt, I, I have to cancel that order. She said, God allowed me to save this money up. I shall use it for a gospel need. My items can wait. God knows our needs and he shall, she shall supply richly. Have you ever been in a situation just like that? I wonder. Have you been struck by a need that you've had to self-sacrificially say, I, I, I'll it'll wait. Have you been there? What is it that moves a believer to engage in such acts of faith? And how can we as Christians do likewise following the steps? Well, from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20, I would like us this morning to learn the following. Giving to gospel ministry worships God who provides through Christian fellowship leading to contented joy. I'll repeat that again. Giving to gospel ministry worships God who provides through Christian fellowship leading to contented joy. And I'd like us to consider this portion of Scripture in three different movements or three different points. And we will begin in reverse order. We'll start with joy, then move on to fellowship, 
And then move on to worship. Joy, fellowship, and then worship. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's been in prison for quite some time. But but in Roman times, prison was not a form of punishment. Punishment were the other stuff, the flogging, the beating, the hefty fines, the uh, uh, vanishing people from the country, or even death. That was punishment. But being in prison was simply a waiting room. They were awaiting trial. And, And here is Paul, awaiting trial for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows not how long he will be there for. He knows not what the outcome will be. Will he be able to go out again or not? He knows that, not that. But there he is, awaiting. But you know, part of the accommodation pack- package in a prison at that time didn't include food or provisions. Food and provisions had to be supplied by the prisoner himself. And how was he going to provide if he was there in prison? He had to rely on acquaintances, on friends, on people around that he would know. And so there he is imprisoned, lack of resources, and suddenly, just out of the blue, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, a man he knew from the church in Philippi, turns up with such a marvellous gift that he is overwhelmed with joy. You see, the Philippians had been faithful friends that had supported Paul in his ministry for some time, but they had gone quiet for a little while. Maybe it's because they were themselves extremely poor. But they had gone quiet. But, but, but they were a generous people. Something I have noticed is that people that have gone through poverty in their lives are the most generous people when they are able to have some form of resources. And so there they were, the Philippians, providing again. They had helped him in the past and now they've made contact again. Can you imagine Paul's face when he sees Epaphroditus turning up with this marvellous gift? He rejoices and writes here in verse 10. Look, follow it with me. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Revived is a, is a gardening word that he's using. It's as if he's saying that they were like a tree that hath not flowered through winter, but now they were in full bloom with their support. And he adds, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And notice verse 10 how it says, but I rejoiced in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord. He doesn't say, I rejoiced in your gift, or I rejoiced in the money, or I rejoiced in the resources, but I rejoice in the Lord. Paul's joyful because he, not because once he was hungry and now he's able to fill his tummy, He is rejoicing because it is God who is providing through other Christian believers. Paul knows that God meets Christian needs through Christian generosity. That is what causing him to rejoice. 
God is in action. And he's in action through other believers by providing need. That is where his joy lies. God is the one who provides. Alec Motier says, the sufficiency of one Christian is related to the generosity of another. Raquel and I have witnessed incredible acts of generosity within the congregation for the last few years since we've been here. We have witnessed need of families who have been in a dire situation and suddenly one brings and provides and supports. We have witnessed times where we have had a desire and dreamed big for evangelistic purposes, reaching out and suddenly one or two say, I will cover the cost of that evangelism need. We had once a supper, we had with a fundraising supper and and one of the congregations said, why don't we buy uh, uh, fish and chips for those who will be attending? I'll pay it from my pocket. I knew they were not wealthy but they said I'll pay and whatever is funded will fund the need in the village I have witnessed incredible acts of generosity for the sake of the work of the gospel and one of those acts of incredible generosity is the fact that we're in a um, central heating heated building now which we were a few years ago still in a tin chapel built 120 years ago with radiator heaters. And God has provided marvellously. Raquel and I have been able to see God in action. I wonder if you have seen and witnessed God's fingerprints through the generous giving between one to others. Around you. You know, Paul can see it. This is why he rejoices. He rejoices before the Lord. But there is something else that he has learned. Paul has learned a very important lesson in life. And I wonder if you have learned that lesson. Look at verse 11. He's learned the lesson of contentment. It says... Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What is contentment? It's funny because Paul is using a word that the Stoics used to use to say that they were were unmoved, that they were uh, emotionless, It was an I don't care attitude towards everything around them. But Paul is hijacking that word used in pagan circles and he's giving it a new meaning. Paul is saying that he himself has learned contentment, but not in the way that the Stoics have learned contentment. Paul is saying that his satisfaction doesn't come from material things. Not because he doesn't care like the Stoics didn't care. Paul is saying that neither he is mastered by abundance, not because he has been robbed by emotion of of emotion like the Stoics themselves. But Paul 
is content in the Lord. Look at there, verse 12. Follow with me. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that verse is one of the most out of context verses in the Bible that preachers preach and read the Bible apart. This passage is not about you can be successful in life and I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can be a superstar, a superhero or you name it. Paul is saying, I know, to be, I know how to be faced with abundance and not be mastered by abundance. And I know what it is to have nothing and not be moved by having nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His contentment was in the Lord. And Paul says, I have learned the secret that is a, a word from the, 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 the Greek that uh, uh, this, this is what a, a, a commentator says. This, this verb is used primarily for initiation into the mystery cults. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's saying, I have gotten in on the secret of both having a full stomach and being hungry. I have been initiated and I am content, not because I don't care. But because the Lord is my Lord who gives me strength to face any and every circumstance around me. You see, my dear friend, Paul has not chosen a life of riches so as to show contentment to people around him. Neither has he chosen a circumstance of, of, of poverty. He knows that his life is neither conditioned by riches... Neither his life is conditioned by poverty. Paul's joy is in the Lord. In the Lord who provides. His joy is in the Lord who gives strength to face plenty and to face hunger. In other words, circumstances around, whether it is plenty or whether it is need, are irrelevant because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul knows his relationship with Jesus Christ is sufficient. And so he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. My dear friends, contentment is to joyfully rest in the Lord. It is to obediently trust in God's dealings and God's purposes that knowing it is well with my soul. Contentment is linked with godliness in the scripture. Contentment is to repose in him like the psalmist in Psalm 91 verse 4 who says, He will cover me with his pinions and under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Contentment is to abide in him, in Jesus Christ. 
John 15 verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I shared with you some time ago, when I was 11 years old, I would go biking with my father and we would race occasionally. How are you? How old are you, Zach? Um, I'm 10 in one month. 10 in one month. Well, I was 11, just like Annette's age, and I would have a bike and I would go riding my back with my dad. And one particular day, it was a terrible day for me. You see, we were riding a bike and I thought I was clever and I sort of took a shortcut but it was not a shortcut it was a bit of a long cut but you know when you're 11 you think you know everything and so I went that way and and uh, they were digging around my shortcut they were digging a hole uh, for waterworks and on the pavement and, you know, Mexican style, you don't put ba- uh, borders or boundaries or anything like that. And so I just knew that I was in trouble when my, my wheel went up the, the little bit of a hill. It was dark at that moment. My wheel went into the ditch and I just flew. My face hit the pavement without my hands being on the way. My, my, my nose and my, my, my uh, uh, lip got very injured. I won't go into detail, but I cut my lip and there was lots of blood. And those that, don't, that, those that know me know that I, I just don't do blood and don't do hospitals or anything like that. But somehow the adrenaline kicked in and I just got up and I, I took my bike and I started walking and I walked towards the house and suddenly I, I saw my mum looking out and she saw me and she ran, but she ran away to the kitchen calling my dad and dad and see Kevin and so he goes and sees me and, and, and as he sees me bleeding with, with, with this bad injury on my face I, I say to dad, dad dad it is okay do what you need to do it is okay it, it was not okay my face was injured my, my lip was cut it was very bad but you know what was okay it was okay that it was my dad there caring for me and I knew I was going to be okay and so I said dad it is okay it's all right do whatever you need to do now usually I would be wimping crying and but this time it was very different and so he took me to the hospital without kicking without crying no problem at all and they did what they had to do and I was able to come out with a big patch on my face and uh, trying to, to, to recover it for some time. X-rays and all sorts had to be taken. But you know, I was content because my dad was there. And I was sure and secure in my father. Regardless of the dire circumstances that were around me, my dad was there and he was going to look after me. My, my dad never forgets that. From time to time, he says to me, do you remember when you said, it is okay, Dad? And yes, I do remember. And it was okay. So that was our first word, joy. <coughs> joy. Believers rejoice in the Lord who provides for their needs while remaining content on their lot. Believers rejoice because they see how God is working while remaining content in what they have. But how does God provide? 
Well, the answer to that question is a one word, and that is work. The natural means that God uses to provide is work. And so men, listen carefully what the word of God says. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Work is the natural means that God has provided for providing on our tables, food on our tables. But having said that, we live in a broken world, a world where things don't just happen as, as they should. And so there are many other ways in which God provides and these are the, our supernatural ways. And this text reminds us of the word fellowship. Fellowship. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. If you look at the ESV, it has a little footnote. If you go at the, to the bottom, you will see that that word share can also be called fellowship or have fellowship in. Giving is sharing. Paul's affliction is now their affliction. They may not be present physically in the prison cell with Paul, but they are with him side by side, suffering as he is suffering also. The Philippians are bearing his load. They are providing and they are sharing. They are making it easier for Paul to endure the difficulty he's going. They are sharing in his trouble. That Greek word share is fellowship, but he's also, it means to be a joint partaker. To be a joint partaker. This is why Paul says in verse 15, look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's the region, no church entered into partnership. That's that word again of the root word. With me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Can you see what Paul is doing there? In verse 15, he's connecting the word partnership, koinoneo, with giving and receiving. He's bringing those words together. Paul is using a commercial language, a language that was used at that time to illustrate his point. What it is, is Paul is using this language of a partner entering into a business partnership and a mutual agreement between two parties. When there is this type of agreement, there is an agreement of giving and receiving. A partnership, a fellowship is a two-way relationship. This is what Paul is bringing to to mind of believers. Sharing is a two-side relationship. I'd like to ask the children, how easy do you find it to share? Is it easy to share or is it hard? What do you think, Sophie? You think it's really easy. Praise the Lord. 
David, do you think it's easy or is hard to share? David think it's both. Zach says it's medium. Way to go. Well, as you grow older, you realise that it becomes harder to share and to give. Why? Because we grow so in love of the things of this world and it becomes hard and hard. We as parents know that it's very hard for son A to give to son B. Come on, share. And it's, it's the constant battle. But we Christians are just like that. That's why we need what is called grace. Grace is God's gift to us. And there, there is need of grace in giving. We should do, we should give when the Lord prompts us to give. When suddenly we feel this, this desire to give like uh, earlier on, I said to you about this, this, this occasion where, where she was moved to, to give and she, she did. There is grace in giving. But let me tell you, my friends, there's also grace needed in receiving. Some find it or some of us find it very difficult to receive help. We don't like it. But the Lord gives us humility also to receive. So Paul takes their generous gift. He, he receives it with gladness because he knows that God is the one who is providing. But he is very careful to clarify that the gift is secondary to their relationship. And that's very important. It is secondary to their relationship. The gift itself is not the blessing he is after. This is verse 17. He says there, not that I seek the gift. Paul is not after gain like the many prosperity gospel preachers that you hear nowadays that they want everything for them so that they can buy the biggest jet or so that they can buy the biggest mansion. Paul is not in it for the money. He's not in it for the gift. Verse 17 again, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And again, he's using commercial language. He's saying that as you are giving, it's accruing credit to your account. When you give, your heavenly account becomes bigger. You are growing in that. When the Philippians are giving, they are doing it for their own benefit. And that is from God. In their giving, the Philippians are laying for themselves treasures in heaven. By supplying for the needs of others around them in gospel ministry, they are making for themselves purses that do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, like Jesus Christ taught us in Luke 12, verse 33. In this Philippian and apostle relationship or a partnership or a fellowship, Paul is now indebted to them. However... It is not Paul who will be repaying them. It is the Lord. Look at verse 19. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Acts 20 verse 35, we read of Paul saying, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
eight years ago when we moved to Hauling and we uh, began a ministry here, uh, I was moved by the uh, um, circumstances of the time. The church only had resources and funding for two years. They said that they could only call a pastor for a two-year period and on that basis they, they were calling us. And we accepted. Our thought was maybe we could go to Mexico to serve as missionary there. But God had different plans. Now most of our very elderly friends have passed away. But they would rejoice to see what the Lord has done. Bit by bit. Step by step. Great acts of generosity have been shown during these two years. And we are still here. Eight years on. God provides the Lord provides. And so there was a point where we appealed for, 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 for the building. We sold the land and that was going to be sufficient to buy this land. But we were very short to be able to adapt it. So we called an appeal to various churches and people within the congregation. Someone within the congregation gave a, gave a very generous gift. And that was, that was, that was so humbling Someone else from a group of churches partnered together and sent us £25,000. Someone else who heard that, that what was going on called me and said, I, I, I want to send £1,000 for, for the project of the fire station. Another group uh, sent £10,000. One person gave us £14,000. And God provided for what we needed and as we finished the project as we ended up painting and putting the adaptation and everything we went down to zero God provided what we needed at that particular time but you know our partnership is not one-way system we heard of an issue in South Hall the pastor there had been serving for some time but we heard that the church could not afford to pay for his stipend for another year. And so they were calling and appealing for help. Well, guess what we did? We said to the church, well, we were helped and blessed by them and by other churches around. Let's partner. And we, we gathered an amount and sent off a, a very generous amount. And well, at least in my eyes as a human being, but God knows all things. He is he, he, nothing in comparison to God. And and, and, and when they received this donation, they, they were overwhelmed with joy. This past uh, month, uh, John William Noble came and he, he said he had an appeal to, to his church building. They were very short, about 50k of resources and, and the deadline has gone. And the Lord marvelously provides and he provided. And so we asked the congregation if we could band together and help him where we could. And I was hit by the generosity of one individual who, 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 who said, I, I want to give a, a very, a, this amount. And I said, well, hang on, did you, did you say this or that? And, and it, it hit me so because the sufficiency of one is related to the need of another or the generosity of another. And so we give thanks to God that God provides and God does provide. How are you when it comes 
to this subject of giving? Is it out of compulsion or is it voluntary? Are you moved when you see that others are in need or do you try to just look away and not think about things? Do you give out of what is left or do you seek to trust God in providing? You see, the Bible doesn't say that we ought to give a certain amount in the New Testament. The Old Testament, we have example of tithing, which was a 10%, but they had various different tithes to give. The New Testament gives it, opens it to believers to give as they feel in their heart. So 10% of our income should not be our limit. The 10% of our income should be the starting point for our giving. And so I do that with my kids. When I give them their pocket money, particularly my eldest one, I say 10% goes to give into the congregation, the needs of the church, and 20% it will be for giving other needs of people around you or situation of, of issues that may be around you that you can give and support. And if, I, if we begin training our kids with, within their young age, they grow with this understanding of being generous. And how are you with your giving? Or do you simply clench to what you have, knowing that we are to learn contentment and that contentment in the Lord. God meets the needs of his people through Christian fellowship. Now, if you've been counting... I've done two points, joy and fellowship. And I said we were going to have three, but don't panic. It's a very short third one by way of application, and that is worship. I want us to worship the Lord. Worship through giving. Because giving is not just an act of fellowship, but giving is an act of worship. Look at what Paul is saying there in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the give you sent. Notice how he calls it. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Their gift was an offering of fragrant aroma to God. It was an acceptable sacrifice to God. It was pleasing to God. Why? Because Christian giving to gospel ministry is worship. And God is honoured. Their giving was a sacrifice of worship but their giving was a real sacrifice in and of themselves. They didn't give out of what was left over or the interest that they've gained. No, they gave sacrificially. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, Paul says that the churches in the region of Macedonia were in extreme poverty. And here he's just told us that they were the only ones in the whole Macedonia to give. So in other words, it was only Philippi who banded together to give as Paul was passing by to give to the church in Jerusalem. And so out of their poverty, they were begging Paul, please, Paul, take these to Jerusalem. And Paul felt, well, I can see you're, you're in need, but they were begging, please take these gifts to the Jerusalem church. And he took that and they gave sacrificially. 
even though they were in dire need in and of themselves. And here the Philippians are setting us an example of sacrificial giving, not just little giving, but generous sacrificial giving. He even says, I have received the full payment and even more, I am well supplied. So, believers, worship. Worship God by giving. Worship God by giving to gospel ministry for his glory. Giving to gospel ministry is worship of God. And I'll close with this uh, story or real live event many years ago. Some of you have heard of the name of John Wesley. He was the highest paid minister of his time. He was a godly man. His earnings far surpassed the earnings of anyone in his time with regards to uh, ministry. In modern money, we'll be talking about millions. A lot of money that was coming down his way. However, he used the bare minimum for himself. In a famous sermon that he preached entitled The Use of Money, you can even Google it, The Use of Money sermon by John Wesley. He had three main points, and these were his points. Earn all you can. Number two, save all you can. And that was not in the bank account. What he meant was be frugal, cut down on costs. Instead of buying a new pair of socks, just mend them or turn down the heating or just, just save all you can. And thirdly, Give all you can. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. His generosity funded gospel ministries around the world from uh, orphanages to gospel endeavors, gospel ministry all around the, de- the world. And when he died, no possessions were found on him. When he died, they only found one silver spoon that he had in his pocket. One silver spoon. And that was it. He was one of the richest ministers. The taxman got worried. They, they started investigating because they said, whoa, hang on a minute, what's going on? Nothing found. He left nothing behind but a silver spoon. John Wesley was a man of God who embodied the the Philippians' generous spirit. He knew by personal experience what it meant to be content in the Lord. He knew that giving was an act of Christian fellowship and that God meets the needs of other Christians through that fellowship. And God blessed him way so much, enabling him to partner with people all around in that Christian fellowship. But he also knew that Christian giving was an act of worship. And this was at the heart of John Wesley. That's why he so carefully earned all he could. And he cut costs all he could. And he gave as much as he could. He invested his possessions in his heavenly account. 
giving to gospel ministry, worships God who provides to Christian fellowship, leading to contented joy for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for your word. This morning we pray, Lord, that you may move us, Lord, to be the people you would have us to be. That we may not do things to show others how good we are, but that we may do things, O Lord, to show the manifold glory of who you are, O Lord. A gracious, loving, merciful, bountiful God in the midst of our circumstances. Father, we pray that we may be content and that we may rejoice when we see acts of generosity. That we may, Lord, partner one with the other and that we, O Lord, may worship you in our giving. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.